Hey guys, what's up? It is week 132. I have like 14 reviews for you, so it's going to be a long episode. So I'm going to try to make this as brief as possible. This is kind of just for my own gauging of, uh, you know, how this uh, goes out, video, audio. I, I was curious, does anybody actually listen to the audio version of this show? And I know if you're watching the video version, you won't be able to comment on YouTube. Just shoot me a message or on, leave one on Screaming Toilet or underneath the audio uh, feed if you can. Let me know how you listen to this, whether it's Stitch. Uh, iTunes, uh, you know, or if you just watch the YouTube channel or whatever, or you don't watch it at all and you just stumbled on it and you're like, shut the hell up. So uh, go ahead. I'm going to hop right into the first review. Uh, I appreciate if you guys would do that for me, but if not, oh well. Hop into the first review and this is by uh, Dread Central Releasing and this is Red Letter Day. Uh, this sounded kind of interesting to me. Um, Epic Pictures, you know, Dread Central, they've been having a nice uh, line of titles. Some of them I dug quite a bit. I really loved Harpoon, thought that one was excellent. So Red Letter Day, I put this in. This is a super low-budget Canadian feature, but um, they work really well with their budget. It doesn't look like crap. It doesn't feel super cheap. Basically, the main characters of this... Uh, this movie are like a family of three and uh, everybody in this small, I think it's everywhere. I think it's, uh, you know, pretty much nationally. I'm not a hundred percent sure. They kind of leave that vague, but everybody receives this red letter. Uh, and basically everybody opens it and there's a picture of somebody on there that says, this person is going to try to kill you. We suggest that you kill them before they kill you. So that's the whole plot of this movie. We have everybody kind of, it's kind of like, uh, like an anonymous group or something like, you know, the internet anonymous group, uh, uh, just putting it out there and seeing how doing a test on psychology, human psychology, to kind of gauge where we are as, you know, creatures, if we're good or bad. So, of course, at first, nothing really happens. But once uh, the bloodshed starts, it kind of gets out of control. It reminded me a little bit of the concept of the purge kind of deal or something like more so assassination nation, where we have this kind of panic go through everybody. And after that, there's no turning back. So, um the wife actually gets one of her friends who she's very uh, liberal and they're kind of on the conservative end and against, uh, you know, her really best instincts in general, she goes over there and is going to talk it out. Um, and of course, something radically crazy happens and this kind of stems, uh, you know, this starts everything. Uh, the person who's got the young son, there's a son and daughter, basically comes after them and it just becomes a chaotic kind of almost semi-apocalyptic movie. It's pretty entertaining. The special effects are, are great. There's a, there's a lot of funny moments in here that actually made me laugh out loud. At one point, somebody gets stabbed in the neck through a turkey, and the blood comes out of the turkey. And I was like, that's really fun. Um, you know, you kind of have to just believe this would happen. And somewhat, I think once the violence did happen, I think that it would be kind of hard to stop it, if that makes any sense for anybody. But I noticed uh, there was kind of an older actress in here who's been in, uh, I mean, like an older genre actress who's been in a bunch of stuff. She was in Friday 13th, uh, Part 5. Uh, she was in this movie, and she had a nice little role that was kind of cool. I thought the acting was decent. Uh, it wasn't horrible. It ranges. It was decent acting. Uh, and there's a little twist on here involving one of the characters that's involved with the whole kind of setup. I don't want to spoil too much, but it definitely falls into those kind of movies where it's, um, you know, like I said, assassination nation and everybody does this for attention or the, the bad in humanity, but it's played more for laughs, which I, I, at times I, I like that a little bit better when movies end up trying to be like, isn't this, if a movie tries to come at you, like humanity sucks, it's dark and nasty. And then it's full of like, I, I kind of ridicule it more. I, I, 
hold it to a higher standard of being more realistic. Like something like the remake of Mother's Day was like, humanity's terrible. Humanity's so bad. And then it was just filled with plot holes and nobody acted like a human. It drove me nuts. I feel like this one with the comedy element helps a little thing, a lot more things slide better and easier pill to swallow. And I think it's fun. I think it's decent. I think it's solid. On the disc, there's a making of. It has interviews with the director and uh, some of the um, people involved with the movie. And then there is a really cool kind of a career retrospective of the actress. I can't think of her name. It's, it's skipping my head right now from Friday 13th Part 5, but she runs down a bunch of the movies that she was in, Reform School Girls and, and all that. And that's really kind of interesting and nice that they, you know, give kind of a genre actor a nice little featurette, which um, it's, it's well um, per, um, edited too. Like they include clips and everything like that. And the featurette was el- well edited too. I believe that these people probably made this, this is like their first feature length movie, but they've probably been working in the Canadian film industry for a while. Um, recommended. We're checking out for sure. The biggest hit on the movie is when they kind of try to go viral with the whole thing and they're showing like clips of other people all across the country and uh, wherever it's happening they kind of do this thing and a lot of that stuff looks much cheaper but it's supposed to be like you know found kind of footage type deal or internet you know broadcast and I don't think that works as well. I think it's a little hokey but uh, all in all it reminds me a little bit of a what truth or dare part four I think that happens in but uh, when the, the kind of whole thing that goes viral craze but I guess that's just kind of how <laughs> the world is now days so the horror movies reflect it but that's red letter day i would i would recommend checking it out what are those red envelopes it's addressed to me the others are for you too honey does that letter tell you to kill someone Sure does. Welcome to Red Ladder Day. Your instructions are as follows. Kill this person before they kill you. Is this some kind of joke? Damn, looks like he also got a letter. He might be taking these letters a little too serious. Go down by your own free will or by force? Who are you running to? We are gonna have a problem here. You better run, boy. Okay, the next one is from Impulse Pictures, and this is the first time I'm tackling one of these movies. This is Zoom Up Graduation uh, Photo, and I'm not even going to bother trying to say it. It's the Nakatsu Erotic Films Collection. There's a bunch of these. I actually have a lot of them here, but this is the first one I watched. Uh, yeah, these are really weird movies. Uh, this is super sleazy. This is a pinky movie, pinky violence movie. This is not really violent, more so just focuses on the kind of erotic side here. They're basically softcore pornos, and in Japan, they blur out the pubic hair and pubic regions and all that kind of stuff, so you're not going to see anything hardcore in the movie. But the ideas in this movie are pretty uh, grow, you know, pretty extreme for that kind of thing, especially for 83. So what we have here is this young girl who um, is basically trying to make uh, money, uh, so she decides to do kind of a porno shoot. And in Japan, I guess all the pornos are done like they're magazines in the 80s, and they're in like uh, kind of like a vending machine so you put your money in so you see these girls on the cover so people buy it so they can see the nudity and the kind of the, uh, the things like that in there so people buy these things and uh 
the girl's really kind of leery about doing it. She ends up doing it, uh, just like a nice uh, photo shoot that's not too extreme. Her boyfriend finds out, and that kind of sends her down like a rabbit hole doing all these and getting deeply involved with them and doing a lot of more and more extreme, exploitative things. And there's one part in this movie that's really kind of nasty and um, really exploitative where one girl, basically she's raped by a bunch of pieces of shit um, because she lives behind one like right a vending machine of this is right in front of her house so they're like yeah she's smut so they like justify um raping her and one guy looks like he's gonna help but no like i think it might be her boyfriend or something he jumps in too so she's raped so she goes after this company and like ends up becoming involved with them and doing the the videos and everything like that but there's just a lot of seedy stuff and a lot of seedy characters that get involved with it until it kind of escalates until the very end where it almost turns into a love story where the lead girl ends up sleeping with one of the producers of the thing and they had like kind of a, a little uh, fling I guess it it's not a, a really easy movie to describe except talk about the plot it's definitely inappropriate and it definitely goes to places where you know it's an exploitation movie so it goes there and it, it does things like enemas which I was shocked to see in the movie uh, it does enemas like like kind of like the milk enema deals and and things like that which I did not expect to see it has uh, lesbianism strap-ons it's about as hardcore as you can get without actually showing any pubic regions uh, like I said the ideas are 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 there for this kind of nasty exploitation movie like rape and everything like that and uh, it's 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 a weird watch, and it's like I'm sure a lot of these movies are like this. This director did some other movies too, like Hell is a Jar. <laughs> it was such a weird title if you look him up. He had this movie called Hell is a Jar or something like that, or Hell is a Place. I, I can't remember what it was called, but the cover looked insane. It looked like the cover so was like entrails of a beautiful woman and entrails of a virgin kind of deal. But um, if you're interested in this kind of stuff, I would recommend checking it out. Um, I, I don't know if I can give it a, a wholehearted recommendation or anything like that, but uh, it is unique. It is different. It it is kind of weird, and uh, this is my first experience with these movies. I've seen other pinky movies, more of the pinky violence movies, that are more about the exploitation and less about the sex, but, you know, one comes with the other in those movies. So, yeah, um, this is Zoom Up Graduation Photo. So, yeah. Let's go. Why not? Fill your hand, you son of a bitch! Say when.
deserve this. Okay, this next one here is from Arrow Academy, and this is by far the pick of the week. This is from 1954. This is The Far Country, directed by Anthony Mann, starring Jimmy freaking Stewart. Yeah. I'd never seen an Anthony Mann Western. Um, I'd seen Jimmy Stewart in Westerns, of course, like The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance and The Shootist, and I always thought he was exceptionally well in those movies. Done, very good. Um, you know, kind of a character that um, is good-natured. Um, geez, boy, oh boy. And as they say in the features, this isn't the Jimmy Stewart I was used to at all uh, in The Far Country. Um, this was an amazing Western. This is hands down one of the best Westerns I've ever seen, I think, um, and I was blown away by it. Jimmy Stewart plays this kind of a... Uh, you know, cowboy cattle rancher kind of guy, you know, he brings I mean, cowboy, the, the real meaning of a cowboy, he kind of rangs up cattle and takes them, uh, you know, cross country to make money because there's a beef shortage in this kind of area where he's going. Um, and uh, right off the bat, uh, he's getting on this boat to uh, transfer, transport his cattle and he, he meets uh, Walter Brennan, who's like his sidekick um, with him. And I Walter Brennan's, by the way, the best sidekick ever to have to have not um, with uh, Humphrey Bogart, Rio Bravo, with John Wayne. So he makes a great sidekick, and he's always the same character <laughs> in every movie, but it works so well, you love him. So basically, Walter Brennan and him are going to transport this cattle. they got to get on a ship. But you find out right off the bat that Jimmy uh, Stewart killed two guys on the trail that tried to leave. And so they want to they wanna hang him, but he sneaks on the boat. Some uh, girl helps him, some woman. That seems to be well off. Uh, so she does it. She has her own motives for helping him. She can benefit off him. So they get to this small cattle town where they're going, and what happens is they um, disturb a uh, hanging. And John McIntyre is gonna. He's a judge, and he is a great villain, an amazing villain in this film. They disturb a hanging that he's about to um, about to take place. So he uh, comp- compensates all the cattle. From Jimmy Stewart and basically he's broke and he knows he can't make it and he's kind of done this deal where they were going to go up to this place in Canada and sell off the cattle to the highest bidder but uh, he ends up uh, Jimmy Stewart needs to make money so he starts working with that uh, well-off woman to go up there and and uh, lead them through you know the kind of uh, you know frontier land to get to this place a guide as you will help them out but Jimmy Stewart sees this as a chance to steal his cattle back runs away and ends up going to that small town, but he cannot escape John McIntyre, who's this like rich kind of uh, he's he's a crooked judge who takes all this money and all these things like that, and he wants to move into that Canadian territory after Jimmy Stewart, Walter Brennan, and all kind of these young uh, you know these people are settling in, and uh, of course there's going to be a conflict between them. Jimmy Stewart sees you know the gold in this area, and everybody's buying property and and um, you know kind of doing it's the a great Western dream, you know that big capitalism, get your gold, sell to the highest bidder kind of deal, and he sees the money. Money and he wants to get in on the gold deal, but he's going to have to go through that small town um, where John McIntyre was to get out of here. So what happens is uh, he actually starts to open up an old mining business and uh, the people in this town, they're good natured. And they don't want the rich woman to move in. I can't think of her character's name or her, the actress's name. They don't want her to move in because she opens businesses and closes down the small businesses, you know, kind of comes in and takes everything over. So there's this turmoil. And Jimmy Stewart is, uh, you know, being kind of fought over by two women. And he's just an amazing character in this because he is an anti-hero. And, and in the classic sense, he doesn't want to get involved. He doesn't care. He's going to si- sell his cattle to the highest bidder. Screw doing the right thing. Screw anybody else. And he has a great moment moment in here where he's talking to Walter Brennan. He says, I really only have enough, you know, to help myself. And every once in a while, you old friend or something like that. And so you get who he is, but in these great movies like this and great character movies where they follow the characters and where actors get to flex those muscles, he gets a chance to, you know, 
kind of do the right thing. And I love that kind of movie like that, you know. That's why it probably always um, resonated in the book The Stand with me. I always like Larry Underwood the best because for the most part, he's not a good person. But at the very end, Larry Underwood does the right thing. Um, and those characters usually have the strongest impact on me. But Jimmy Stewart in this, uh, like tremendous performance, the way he is back and forth, especially with John McIntyre and especially the way he uh, is in the love interest. He's just very interesting. Uh, he almost has a sarcasm about him. He definitely has a sarcastic attitude. He's witty. He's clever. And um, he's real quick to pull his gun. There's a moment in here where somebody says, we're not doing that. And he turns around, he already has his rifle like that before the guy can even draw it. And he's like, no, what are we doing? Just things like that. He doesn't tell people why he's not going a certain way. He lets them go on his own, on their own and almost die. He's just not a good person, but he's such an interesting character and it's performed perfectly. And I know I'm going on and on about this movie. It's, it's a gorgeous freaking Western. It takes place in the mountains. So there's always beautiful scenery. And I know there's a couple scenes with matte paintings and they have these small little kind of, you know, boom towns with gold and everything like that. Tons of character actors that pop up, including Royal Dano, uh, Jack Elam, uh, tons of people in here. And um, of course, you know, Jack Mac uh, John McIntyre comes into the that town and wants to take over their town too. And he's just got this great demeanor about him. He's just evil. And him and Jimmy Stewart have a great back and forth, a perfect back and forth. And, and what happens is, of course, I don't want to spoil the whole movie or anything like that, but there is one of the saddest damn things I've ever seen in a Western movie where I almost, I, I was like, oh no, because, um, one of the characters has a flaw that he has in every movie he's ever been in without spoiling too much. And, and that leads to some really horrible things, but you really feel sorry for these kind of simple folks that just want to, you know, mine their gold and retire their older types and just go kind of settle down. But of course the evil, you know, big kind of business guy who's just going to come in and muscle everybody out and do everything his way is, you know, taking what he doesn't belong to him. And that, that's really kind of a sad moment. There's this bad guy in this movie called Madden. And I've seen this guy before. I know I had, and he looks straight out of Dick Tracy. He is just one of the meanest looking villains I've ever seen. And he kind of, um, has a conf uh, conflict with a couple of the people, including the sheriff. And the way he acts, the way he smiles, the way he's intimidating, he is such a good bad guy. And he, he has the double pistols at the end. Man, this is so good. This is so iconic. This is perfect. I have to track down the other Anthony Mann, Jimmy Stewart Westerns because, like I said, you know, I gave it four and a half out of five the first time watching. It should be a five. I know it should be, but I just got to rewatch it. I try not to give stuff five first time, but it's just such an amazing movie. And I was completely blown away by it. Um, on the features they have interviews with like a uh, Courtney Joyner and some other people about Anthony Mann's uh, time doing westerns with Jimmy Stewart they talk all about that a bunch of his movies include and um, a bunch of people involved with that then they have another feature with Kim Newman which was also really nice but um, this is definitely right up my alley great character actors great scenery great acting great story uh, a true old west story and uh, it's perfect it's a perfect movie okay check it out um, the far country <laughs> Towering mountains hid its gold, icy glaciers guarded its passes. But in 1896, the gold rush to Dawson and the Klondike became one of the great adventures of history. They came by boat and pack horse. They came to dig and fight and love and die. The strong came and the weak, the bad and the good. And sometimes it was hard to tell which was which. Who'd you kill? Two men. Seems like a man ought to have a right to leave if he wants to leave. I figured they shouldn't ought to turn back and taken my cattle with them. <laughs> Starring James Stewart, 
who learned in bullets and blood that no man can live for himself alone. Ruth Roman, who knew men and how to use them. Corinne Calvay, wiser than her years. And Walter Brennan and John McIntyre in the epic saga of a far frontier excitingly photographed on location amid the scenic grandeur of Canada's northern mountains. Look, I'm pulling out and you're going with me. We do well together. I'll take your guns and work out a fair trial for you. Take them. Now, hold on, Rube. Now, there just isn't any reason for a man getting himself killed if he doesn't have to. Now, why don't you go back to the nice people before you get hurt? to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Okay, this next one is from MVD, and this is Rego, King of the Sea Monsters. And this is kind of like a throwback to uh, kaiju movies, of course. It is a kaiju movie. It's made in 2008, so I was like, okay, I'm interested in checking this out. What are they going to do? And I put this in, and I was kind of confused. I was like, is this like, uh, you know, like their version of Sharknado? Is this a joke? Is this serious? But I really do think it is kind of... um series. I, I do think it is earnest. Um, and uh, it's, it's not a particularly well-made movie. Let's get that straight. Um, but it does take place during an interesting time. This takes place during uh, World War II and it's, uh, the Japanese, uh, you know, building their naval fleet. And of course, they come across this this monster in the ocean, Rego. Um, I think it's Rego or rag i think i'm saying it right okay don't don't crucify me but then um also this creature has these little kind of spine fish or whatever that attack as well so subs have been kind of being attacked here and there uh and basically this big kind of fleet squares off against this monster and they try to figure out how to stop it a lot of it is them talking on the ship and sometimes these weird comedy elements happen well they'll stay they'll stop and they'll all do like a weird talent show and there's some laughs in there which kind of is a lot of japanese movies mo they'll have this weird kind of off the kind of slapsticky kind of weird stuff going on in their comedy i think stacy the zombie movie right away where i was like this is totally really weird and this one kind of has that thing going on um the monster when he's it's it's a lot of green screen, a lot of CGI. The CGI is abysmal. It's abysmal. Some people can give it passes, but they really, it really looks like like PlayStation CGI. It is awful, awful CGI. But the practical, the monster, he's kind of, uh, he's charming. I like him. He looks cool. Sometimes he's CGI, sometimes he's not. But when he jumps out of the water, I kind of like him. He's kind of like a, um, a plesiosaur mixed with Godzilla or something like that. Because he has kind of like the tail deal in the back, but he also has the top part like Godzilla. So a plesiosaur mixed with Godzilla or something. I, I'm not, I'm no expert on kaiju movies. But um, yeah, so like I said, it has moments that are fun. But at the same time, I'm not the world's biggest kaiju. 
kaiju fan. I appreciate the great ones like Godzilla and Mothra and stuff like that. But this one, it's not a, it's not really a good movie. It's like, it's poorly made, but it's also a kaiju movie made on a super low budget. So you got to give them points for trying with the miniatures and things like that. So in certain ways, I, I appreciate what the hell they're doing. I'm not going to lie. But then other times when they use miniatures and practicals, it looks so much better to me visually. But when the CGI is just not up to snuff with anything, not even in 2008, it was still poor. So like I said, it's basically a fleet coming against, you know, um, this creature and it gets really weird at the end of the movie. And of course it does have an interesting point because it takes place during World War II, which I also really liked. And it has like the Japanese kind of honor thing where they're like, we'll stop this monster. Then we'll stop the United States and things like that. So it, it's an all right movie. I know there's a sequel, which kind of interests me as well, but, um, yeah, uh, check it out. If it sounds like it's up your alley. Okay, this next one is from Scorpion Film Releasing, and this is Active Vengeance, a.k.a. Violated, a.k.a. Rape Squad. This is 1974. I've always wanted to see this movie. I had the old Burn On Demand MGM title. Uh, okay, this is by the same director who did the Count Yorga movies and Scream Blackula Scream, and this is completely different from Scream Blackula Scream, I'll tell you that. Um... This movie starts off kind of like a TV movie within the first five minutes. Like, oh, this is like a TV movie. And then right off the bat, there's a nasty rape um, by a killer. This is 74, mind you. A killer and a, not a killer. I call him a killer. A rapist in a hockey mask and an orange jumpsuit. So years before Jason Voorhees, you know. So, of course, everybody's going to say that right off the bat. And this rapist makes the victim sing jingle bells while he rapes them. And he, he has this weird psychology about him, making the women admit that it's the best they ever had and all that, things like that. But what happens is this really grueling rape. And, of course, like any rape revenge movie, exploitation movie, like this style... She goes to the police station and everything like that, gets put through the, uh, this horrible process where none of the cops seem like they know what they're doing. One guy even has the nerve to say something like, uh, I would just let it happen under his breath like that. And that pushes her to say a bunch of uh, uh, homosexual slurs. So it's the time. It's 1974. It's kind of like... You know, does this movie empowering to women or is it degrading to women? Because they the the girls form this rape squad that goes out and you know tries to find rapists and stop rapists and find this guy Jingle Bells who raped all of them. So it's like empowering in one way. Then they're wearing the skimpy clothes, so it's like eh, degrading. And the rapes are very full of nudity and uh, pretty graphic. Um, so it's like eh, eh, it's like arguing with someone on the internet, and like all their all their words they type are full of grammatical errors and nothing's spelled right. It's like maybe they have a point, but at the same time, do they? Because they can't even spell what they're trying to argue. 
So it's kind of like that. <laughs> That's how expectation movies are. It's like one hand, eh, eh, eh. but you got to give it points for this actually having women who were actually attacked going out and doing the the, the ven revengeful stuff because so many times it's like, oh, the guy's sister goes out or something like that. And it's like the women can't even fend for themselves or get revenge themselves. And this one, they actually do. And I like that. I like that. And it is definitely a big precursor to the ladies club. Which is, a, which is a pretty decent movie in itself, but I think this one's more graphic and way more exploitative. Uh, it's well made. I mean, I think it is. It looks well, uh, shot well, the colors pop, the acting's solid. I like all the characters, and there's a lot of fighting. It is very much an exploitation movie where they have these runoffs where they'll run into a pimp and they'll have these fight scenes. Well, they train themselves to fight. They go out and they try to find jingle bells. I like it in another sense because um, when you get revenge, you pay for it, and some of these people do pay for it. It's not like they're running through everything and just destroying everyone. They pack in as much nudity as they possibly can get. It's very sleazy. There's moments where they're all in a hot tub and you can see everything a lot of times under the water so it's definitely an exploitative movie um the stunts were actually done a lot of it one of the characters in the movie is a stunt woman and she was actually taught by a hell needham which is really cool and he worked on the movie you hear that in the special features and they have an interview with one of the actresses in here there's a really great scene where she's one of the actresses and passing out one of the characters is passing out these flyers for the rape squad to you know help women who are being harassed and everything like that and prevent rapes and prevent people you know get revenge or stuff like that you know they're passing out these flyers and these guys start hackling her and she says i was raped and they're like oh sorry we didn't know so then like she goes nuts on him and they're like this looks so stupid. They're just like straight out of like the He-Man Woman Haters Club or something like that. Or like Al Bundy's group. So that's what it reminds me of. But uh, yeah, really well-made exploitation movie. Uh, I enjoyed it. And the print looks great. They did a really good job. This is the MGM title. But this is not going to be for everybody. Um, like I said, it's it's one of those things where, you know, does it cancel itself out with that kind of stuff? But um, well-acted. Definitely a product of its time. And uh, recommended for sure. Glenda, 20, light hair, blue eyes, identifying marks, large bruise on upper left thigh. <coughs> Nancy, 22, 5 feet 5, strangle marks on throat. <coughs> Angie, mid-20s, keeps repeating details of assault. <coughs> Teresa has suddenly developed a fear of men. <coughs> Karen refuses to discuss the attack. All these women have one thing in common. They were violated. Isn't there a policewoman that can question me? You want to go to my place and talk about it? And one way to strike back. Active vengeance. Don't be afraid to fight dirty. Anything goes. Like to force yourself on women's stud. What's going on? Let the revenge fit the crime. We stick together, we can get him. I know it. There they go, my five lovelies. This guy is a maniac and this guy is a killer. And you can easily wind up with your friend. There's a dirty word for what happened to these girls. Hey, gang, I don't think we're strong enough to handle this alone. Maybe we should turn it over to the police. Don't fade on me. This is what we've been waiting for, a chance to nail him. And there's a worse word for what they're going to do to get even. Ah! 
okay, the next one was a Shutter exclusive. It's Get My Gun. This is uh, by First Time Filmmakers. This is going to be pretty brief. Um, okay, this is also kind of being toted as a um, exploitation movie, rape revenge kind of deal. And it's like calling Taxi Driver a political thriller because there was an assassination attempt on a politician in it. It's, it's not really an exploitation. It could be kind of exploitation. It's definitely not a rape revenge. There's like one moment of rape revenge in the movie. So it kind of throws you a curveball. What we have here is uh, the lead actress or the lead character. She works in kind of like this motel cleaning and everything like that. Um, she's saving up to go back to school. She's training a new girl. They become good friends. They're pretty much the two main characters. At one point, uh, the lead girl is raped. She becomes pregnant and she doesn't know if she wants to keep the baby. She ends up talking to somebody about giving it up, kind of fostering, you know, kind of doing that surrogate thing. And this woman ends up being a maniac. And that's kind of the rest of the movie, stalking them and fighting and everything like that. Um, I got to give it props for a couple things. I think the performances are really good. Um, I like that they cast people that aren't the typical people you cast. I'm not saying they're ugly or anything like that. I'm just like, they're, they're like, they have a good look to them. They're not like everybody, you know, Barbies or anything. They're normal looking people that are, you know, they're, they're good looking, but at the same time, they're not like, Hey, I'm a supermodel. I'm a, uh, you know, like that. And that, that look, gets very old. And to be honest, it's nice to see people that look different and look unique in movies. Um, and uh, you can spot them out, you know? So I think they did a very good job. I think they all had good looks, and I think that the the three leads in this movie are solid. Um, the movie is shot in in a, in, in a weird way. I'm going to say this: like it's an exploitation movie. She's always constantly so it's kind of trying to do the exploitation thing when it comes to the color grading, in ways. Um, there's no detail on anything. It's like the contrast has all been sucked out. It looks like you took your, you're watching like a movie from the sixties that had really piss poor picture quality on VHS and you just turned the lighting up really high. That's how a lot of the movie looks, especially the end. It looks terrible at the end. I think, I think they're trying to go for a certain way and it just didn't work for me. Um, there's a lot of spaghetti Westerns on the television. So I'm think they're trying to go for that kind of, you know, look to like that Southwestern kind of look possibly. The camera work doesn't seem like an exploitation movie. The editing doesn't seem like an exploitation movie. So it's fast cuts a lot of times, throwing the camera on something and having it ride, you know, handhelds that are really shaky. So it doesn't feel like an exploitation movie in the, in, to me, the way it's shot or edited, if that makes any sense. I mean, some movies do do that. Some exploitation movies will do that, I think, get a little experimental. But for the most part, the way this one's edited and shot, it's not like an exploitation movie at all. And it, it, it more like a drama movie, to be honest, with a couple moments of exploitation in the end and beginning. The rest is a drama. And that, that's pretty much, it kind of gets repetitive to a certain point. Like I said, good performances, but it's it's like amalgamation of a couple things that I don't think work well together or they're not blended quite right. They could work well together, but I don't think they're blended right. I, I just don't think the movie as a whole works. I think there's two great performances, maybe actually three really good performances in here. And I think the story's fine. I just think the execution, the way it's, um, it, it's weird. The, the filmmaking techniques do not match the um, movies that inspired it at all. And I know that some people would say that's cool. And some people will find it cool. It just became jarring to me. I didn't like how it looked. Like I said, it looks so devoid of all detail. It just did not look good. Like, And I just watched Act of Vengeance, which is an exploitation movie. And that movie looked impeccable. You know what I mean? So it's just kind of weird that the fact that we're talking about a 70s movie that's been, it's the way film is, you know? I can't remember which filmmaker said it, said, but when you film into the sun with film, it has a certain look, it looks good still. But when you film into the sun with digital, it looks like shit. And there, it looks like shit. 
to me. Uh, so I don't want to. I want to sound too negative, but I'm coming right down the middle on this one. Um, I hate how it looks. I, hate, I don't like how it's shot. I don't like how it's edited. I like the acting, and I think the story is, is decent. It's kind of like Inside meets you know a rape revenge movie, but a little bit different. So let's get my gun. Uh, a lot of people will enjoy it. It's just I don't think that I loved it. I thought it was okay. looking for you. I told her to wait for you in front of room 404. The people who come here are total freaks. Room service. Sorry. I didn't know anyone was in here. Who knocked? No one answered. having twins. Okay. It's not even funny. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Okay, this next one's going to be super quick. I watched it on YouTube because it's impossible to find. It's 1974 Canadian horror movie, uh, exploitation, cheapy, uh, The Corpse Eaters, or Canexploitation, I'll say. Um, yeah, somebody mentioned this in the comments when I asked about movies of zombie movies made for Between Night and Dawn. So I was like, they sent it to Corpse Eaters, and they said, I can't find it anywhere. I was like, I don't know if I've heard of that movie. I'm going to seek it out. Like I said, this is 74. This is such a huge inspiration from Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things and Night of the Living Dead. So it's just like that. Uh, it looks so bad. The print I saw looks so bad. So I, half the time I was like, what? What's going on? Who's that? So it's going to be really hard to judge it on that. So basically what happens is it opens up with kind of a mortician complaining about this body. This guy's a piece of crap. He had what was coming to him, yada, yada, yada. So they set this guy up as an asshole. Then we cut up to basically four people in um, uh, going on you know a trip, hanging out. Four kind of younger kids, even though they're probably, play, probably played by 30-something-year-olds. Um, and one of them is one of the corpse he was talking about. So basically they go decide to do something different for a change. They want to go to a morgue. That sounds fun. Or a cemetery. And so they do. It starts raining. They've run into crypt. And, you know, to pass the time, they decide to do some weird occult shit for no apparent reason. That's definitely children shouldn't play with dead things right there. Of course, the dead rise from their graves and attack them. And what follows is a couple really nasty, uh, one nasty gore scene, I'll say. They're ripping a woman apart. She's screaming. They get the camera out. It starts going experimental a little bit with handheld and stuff like that, even though I just said in the last review. But yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. So basically, that camera gets a little crazy. They drive away, make it to the hospital. Um, and, you know, I don't want to spoil too much, but there's a nightmare sequence straight out of Night of the Living Dead with the stabbing and everything like that. Um, a couple more gore effects. There's definitely a Grindhouse uh, William Castle gimmick here where they're like, um, in the beginning of the movie, they're like, if you see this man and this flash, um, turn away from the screen if you get sick by violence. So it's just some middle-aged guy like, put something in his throat. So they do that a couple times. So people are like, oh no, I don't want to see it. Just to hype it up, probably to pad the runtime because it's only 56 minutes. Um, like I said, there's a couple creepy things in here. The ending's completely ridiculous. I'm like, why though? 
<laughs> it is so dark sometimes you're like I don't know what happened there uh, all in all I was kind of glad I watched it and I would really like to see a remastered version of this I can't tell you if it would be good but I can tell you I'd see a lot more and I know a lot more what's going on it's a little hard to tell what's going on with the quality print I saw but it is kind of an interesting movie uh, fitting in between that you know <laughs> definitely um, inspired by children shouldn't play with dead things which I really do enjoy and Night of Living Dead of course is a classic so Corpse Eaters 1974 this is the only movie I think these guys did um, and a couple Canadian directors. I don't think anybody else went on to do anything after this, so yeah. Okay, I have a Patreon pick here from uh, Dustin Mills, and he picked One Cut of the Dead. Also watched this on Shudder, and I heard a lot of things about this movie, and basically what everyone says is, uh, right when you get to the halfway point, I can't talk about this movie anymore, there's going to be major spoilers, so yeah. Okay, I'll let you know when, I'm going to spoil it, So because I can't talk about this without it, I'm going to let you know when the spoilers are, and then when I hit the spoilers, I'm going to move to the next one. All in all, as a whole, this movie is really good. In parts, I'm not so sure it's good either way, but as a whole, together, it actually makes a really good movie, a really charming movie. So, um, the first part of this movie is basically, um, it turns into kind of like a group of people making a zombie movie um, on set, and uh, they basically have to do it in, uh, you know, basically making this zombie movie. It all looks like point of view kind of camera work or whatever. Sometimes the person will talk to the camera, and a zombie comes in, and a zombie outbreak happens. It's low budget. It's okay. We've seen it before. Uh, it's not horrible. There's some shoddy things made in the movie, but that all plays into it later. Now, as a whole, like I said, I would recommend going to check this out. The little you know about it, the better. Make sure you make it past the 40-minute mark, at least. But now, uh, spoilers for the rest of the review. I'm sorry about that, so skip to the next movie that comes up. There's timestamps all below, as always. So, um, basically what happens is here, we realize that this is a... 
it was a movie within a movie within a movie so we start seeing like the making of that movie and the setup and this director who actually had to play a part in the movie and what we see is he was hired to make this one shot one one cut of the dead one cut movie no cuts for this whole zombie movie that's going to air live on television so we basically see him getting the cast together the whole process him learning that it has to be one cut all these problems falling in and you realize why some of the actors acted the way they did and we see them making the movie and people behind the scenes at this point and at first it's like a low low like res kind of cheapy zombie movie but when we get out and zoom out it looks really good the acting is of course better um, and, and there's a lot of funny moments that if you go back and rewatch, like one of the characters snaps on another of the characters and you realize why he snapped within that moment because the actual filming of the movie. So it all plays into the movie. It's all setups in the first half that you don't realize are even setups. And then they're all payoffs in the second half that you didn't realize there were going to be payoffs. So it's a bunch of jokes that you didn't know were going to be jokes. So you're like, okay, it's just a generic zombie movie. And then you're like, okay, it's going to be a drama about making the movie. And then it's like, you actually watch them making the movie and you're like, this is so much charming. And you you see a, a legitimate love for filmmaking within it and not to mention there is a daughter father storyline going on at the same time so you know kind of pass that love for cinema on and you know as your kids should be better than you it kind of goes on to that way and the way they fix a crane shot also wonderful all in all it's a really clever really fun movie that it's not one to really be talked about because there's not much to say, but there is a lot to love about it. And I'm going to try to make this quick. Like I said, I probably, like I said, skip ahead. Like I, if you didn't, sorry, you spoiled it. Yeah. But check this one out. It's well worth checking out. And I'm sure a lot of people will agree with me. I'm not going to lie. In the first part, I was like, okay, we get it. And then after, when it started doing the whole movie part, I was like, okay, I knew this was coming because somebody kind of spoiled it for me. I'm not really digging this. This is not as good as it. And then when it got to the actual making of the movie, I was like, this completely won me over. I really liked it. So that's one cut of the dead. I think this is the first time, you know, feature film. I know that maybe they did um, some other movies, but I I'm interested in checking out what they do next. Um, this was good. なしのワンカット最初から最後まで一度もカメラを止めませんそんな無茶な企画あるわけないでしょ<笑>
Okay, this next one is from IFC Scream Factory. This is I Trapped the Devil. And I legitimately am going to feel like a hater here. I really do. And I felt like a hater talking about Get My Gun. But I Trapped the Devil. I know there's a Twilight Zone episode that's basically this, but I'm more familiar with this plot structure from the movie Pod, which I really like by Mickey Keening. I love that movie. So I put this in and I was like, oh, this is going to be like Pod. Okay, so it is. We have a brother and uh, a brother kind of he's isolated he's really weird he's kind of staying in this house and there's something wrong obviously um uh, aj bowen who's a pretty good actor shows up with his wife um surprise on christmas or christmas time and the brother doesn't want them there because you find out that he has something hidden in the cellar that he claims to be the devil we never see what's in the cellar of course um but you hear somebody behind it a deep kind of bellowing voice and that's the whole setup of this movie. And I'm going to be honest, this works best as a short. This is a short. This is not a feature length. I'm sorry. Um, it's not. And it, it, it's like two pages of actual story stretched out into 80, like four minutes. And it's not a long movie. So saying that, um, it looks great. It's a really good looking movie. I like the lighting, the blues, the reds, you know, they do that well. There's kind of these zoom in camera moments. But basically, if you take out the music, this movie is just uh, not scary at all. It's like a movie that it, it relies a lot on its music and its camera work, which is what a horror movie, a lot of it should. It's, it's all about the dread. But to be honest, there's so much dread and atmosphere in here, but there's no story to be told. There's no story to stretch this out. You do learn a little bit that there is some history between the brothers and something tragic kind of happened in their family line. And there's a moment where one of the brothers has a really good acting performance where he's talking about how people just die. Bang, bang. And he goes through this whole speech. I really like that. But for the most part, it just doesn't work for me. It's very repetitive. It's very boring. And the end twist is like, okay, that's supposed to be clever. I mean, yeah, it's the most obvious thing you could do. And it, it, it just comes across really cheesy and hokey at the end. I know a lot of people like it, but I just did not get behind this. When something like Pod's out there, I'd prefer to watch Pod. Um, like I said, I would love this to be a 30-minute thing. I think it would be really well made. And there's like five minutes of them just like zooming outside on the house, setting the tone of the story. And I was like, okay, this is all atmosphere. And I'm not usually one to complain about all substance. Uh, I'm an all style over substance. I love Italian horror films. And they just do it so much better because that might be all style over substance. But what you get with that is you get amazing kills and you get amazing music at the same time and all those things and there's just so much more to it and to be honest and this movie is like um they we are still here but without any of the gore or the monsters or anything like that so it's like a psychological thing that just can't keep my attention for more than a, a, a 30 minutes and i know people are like well you're just dumb you don't have an attention span and maybe it is but i'm, I'm telling you the truth this is not for me this wore out it's welcome very fast i thought the acting was decent i thought that um, some of the characters did stupid things at times but that's just all almost every movie you can kind of point to that point and there's one point where one of the characters is having this really emotional moment um aj bowen and you're and it's like uh, it's really supposed to be kind of like tragic and everything like that but you can't see his face like the camera's on his face and it's pitch fucking black and i'm like come on man i know that if he was an actor he's looking at that he's like you couldn't give me a little light on my face i know the movie's dark but man goddamn, i can't see nothing um so i mean a lot of people are gonna like this it's a well-made movie there's no doubt about it and i definitely will be buying the director's next movie because it's more so the script it's not the filmmaking at all it's the script for me I just did not care for it. It just does not work. It's just too, nothing happens in this story. This is not a thing that can be drug out for a feature length movie. This is a very short thing, unless it had some other idea in there. Um, well-made movie. 
Um, I always kind of make jokes about, this is going to sound bad, and I don't want to use this movie for that, but there's always people out there, filmmakers out there, that have the best lights, the best equipment, and everything like that. And I wanted to draw like a cartoon, if I could draw at all. If I was talented at all, I guess I'll say. That they always have like all this heavy equipment, all this awesome stuff, and all that they are is focusing on a turd. Like it's a turd right in the middle, and everybody's standing around like filming it. If you start with a turd on the script, I, I just don't, I, it's not even a turd script, it's just stretched out, you know. That's how I feel. I, I just can't get behind this one at all. And I do not like disliking movies like this because I know there's a lot of... It's not lazy. It's not lazy filmmaking at all. It's just um, the script. I just don't think it's worthwhile being that long. And it just becomes boring and just... I've already seen this before. Done better. You watch TV? Listen to the news? Things are changing right before our eyes. Something is coming. I know you felt it. Did anybody follow you here? What? Something feels wrong. There's something in the air. A presence. It has been around for as long as anybody can remember. What have you done? something evil locked behind that door. Please help me. Who else have you told about this? This is a nightmare. You back a dog into a corner, he's gonna bite. I don't know what he thinks I've done, but he's never gonna let me leave here. Faith makes people dangerous. You guys are not listening. I know this sounds crazy! I am not crazy! Okay, we got another Patreon pick here, and this is from Chris Rivers. This is Funny Games. This is the criterion here. Yeah, you know, 96, 97? When did that come out? 97? I've never seen Funny Games. I know. This is the first Michael Haneke movie I've seen. And I knew a lot about it. I'd heard about this movie for years, that it was one of these extreme movies, a grueling movies, one of the hardest movies to watch. So I was like, I'm I'm ready for this. I know what I'm getting into. And I, I got to say, I watched this before I watched I Trapped the Devil. So the filmmaking and, not, or was it, before I watched Get My Gun. So the filmmaking on this was so much better than Get My Gun. I think maybe I was a little harder on that one. And I know you shouldn't compare those. But this movie looks gorgeous. It looks great. I love the way it's shot. Um, this was remade, of course. The director remade his own movie, Shot for Shot. Did not see that one either. What we have here is kind of a rich family going out to their isolated kind of cabin. It's a small little community, kind of like a fishing community where everybody has like their cottages and everything like that. Um, they go out and I've heard people complain that these people aren't likable. I, I don't think that's the case at all. I think they're just normal for the most part. Maybe they're rich. Maybe people don't like rich people in movies, but I know they do make some mistakes in movies. But like I said, everybody does that. I think the characters are fine. It's a husband, wife, and a young kid. They go out and immediately they kind of, um, these people come over to borrow eggs and they had seen them for a split second hanging out with some of their other neighbors. And so they're kind of familiar with them, but they're not really familiar with them. So one of them comes over to borrow some eggs 
He drops the eggs right on the ground on accident, he says, and asks for more. That's kind of when these mental mind games, these funny games start to play. Uh, it escalates. They um, injure the husband, and that's when the things start to get crazy. You realize these two are just kind of horrible, disgusting people. And the sociopaths, they're enjoying doing this, and it doesn't seem like this is the first time they've done this. There is a point in all these movies where right away, right when I saw these characters, I was like, they're wearing gloves. If I if people came in and did this to me and they were wearing gloves, I'm like, they're going to kill us. They're going to kill us. I am going to get out of here or they're going to kill me right now. That's how I am with this kind of thing. Like, um, if I thought there was a chance they'd let me go, I'd participate. But in that kind of way, it's like they're going to kill you. They're wearing freaking gloves the whole time without mask on. So so that movie kind of did that deal. And, and, and that's the one thing I'll hold it against. This family should have known what was up right off the bat. They should have just sensed it. I know it's easier said than done. But the acting performances by everyone in this, top-notch acting. I like the characters. And when I was watching it, I was saying these things to myself or saying out loud like this, this, this. And then I watched the special features of the director and I was like, I was right about a couple things. Which I was like, that's really cool. Um, and I had heard this was uh, Michael Haneke's answer to American cinema being too violent um, and kind of uh, try to upset the Americans. And he's definitely playing with that, with playing with the audience for sure. And at points, I was catching myself getting real annoyed. I was like, you son of a bitch. And then I was like, but he's doing that on purpose, which makes me be like, that's really clever. And I think that's kind of funny at the same time because he's doing that. Um, he also stated that the, the family in this movie isn't a drama because they start to get tortured. The movie is basically they torture them and make them play these funny games. You kind of know where it's going. He says the family in this movie must play as if they're in a drama. And the bad guys must play as in a comedy duo like Laurel Hardy, Abbott Costello. So I was like, oh, that is so genius. And there's these moments where the character breaks the fourth wall and looks right at the audience camera and he does something like this. He's like, you guys want more, right? Or do you? Or something like that. And it's just like, it's really funny. I really like that. And it keeps happening. And at one point, I nearly shit a brick when it happened. I said, oh, that didn't just happen. Then I don't want to spoil it because it's such a great twist. It was such a great moment to be like, what? <laughs> I just laugh at thinking about it now. Um, this is kind of a masterpiece in a lot of ways. Um, like I said, some of the characters do really stupid things. It becomes this aggravating point where there's a chance for escape, but they sit there and argue with each other. And I'm just like, go, 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 go. He's like, he's aggravating the audience to a certain point. There's a moment where instead of, I was like, this is all in a wide. I said, why is this all in a wide shot here? The scene is dramatic. I said, he probably thinks it's too exploitative to zoom in. And he says that. And I was like, this guy is like, but then he's doing things that I would never think of. Like I wouldn't have done that, but I'm just like, I'm thinking, or people, I know a lot of other directors would not have done that. He's doing things that a lot of other people wouldn't do. He's playing with the audience. He's playing with the format and film. He's playing with the structure of stories, you know, thrillers and things like that. And it's interesting. It's interesting as hell, to be honest. It's not a story about, he says, it's just not a story about, you know, the lower class getting even with the, the upper class. This is, you know, within the upper class and stuff like that. He just doesn't do, he does a whole bunch of different things that you wouldn't think somebody would do, which makes it very interesting. It, it's a hard watch, um, you know, blood flying over the television. What's that supposed to say? Simple things like that. But when people try to make a statement on violence and say violence is, you know, in film it's being glorified. I know that Sam Peckabot was trying to do that in one way. But when even when you do that, you sometimes still kind of glorify the violence, if that makes any sense to anybody. So uh, it, it's kind of a weird kind of slope. But I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really well-made movie. And I didn't know what to expect, um, how I would feel about it until I got roughly to the end. And I was like, no, that was really good. But that's funny games. Good stuff. 
Okay, the next one is another Patreon pick from Keith Voigt Jr., and I watched this on the Criterion channel. I watched, uh, what is it, Twin Peaks, uh, Fire, Walk With Me. I had never seen this. I had never seen the TV series, so when he gave me this, I was like, really, man? I don't know what the hell is going to be going on here. This is a prequel to the TV series of how Laura Palmer got murdered. I had heard about Twin Peaks my whole life. I'm not big on the television, and it was just something that I didn't want to tackle. Um, David Lynch is a very um, weird director. He's very hard to talk about, and you don't really understand 100% everything that's going on in his movies the first time you watch them. I'm familiar with things like Wild at Heart, Blue Velvet, you know, Elephant Man, Eraserhead, those movies. And I, I enjoy all his movies. I, I've never disliked one of his movies, and this is the same deal. He's one of these, uh, I'll say the things that I'm more comfortable talking about at first. He's one of these uh, directors that always has a great cast. His casting director is amazing. He always has a good eye for, you know, um, genre actors or, you know, uh, character actors. And stuff like that so they pop up in here grace sabinsky ray wise who else is in here uh, dana ashbrook there's tons of people in here I'm missing tons i know it um off the that's just right off the top of my head but uh everybody in here is super familiar looking and uh enjoyable i mean Kiefer sutherland's in here um kyle mclaughlin it's got a it's got a top-notch cast and even in the Missing Pieces a segment, which I watched, um, Everett McGill, Jack Nance. So there's so many people in here that are just in the deleted freaking scenes. Oh boy, Twin Peaks is a weird one. It opens up, this is a two hour and 15 minute movie. Harry Dean stands in here, great performance. It opens up in the first 30 minutes, follow the police kind of procedural. There's this girl named Teresa Banks who's been murdered. She's been found in a river. They find this thing under her fingernail. She's missing a ring. Um, after that, we kind of go one year later, we're following Laura Palmer and her escapade. She's kind of a, a high school. She sleeps around quite a bit. You know, she has two boyfriends. She's in the drugs. She kind of parties with these older gentlemen and all intertwined with this. Her dad played by Ray Wise seems to have this weird thing where he's being possessed. That's all I'm going to get at. It seems like he's possessed by a past lover from something from the past, which is really weird involving that ring. And that's what I'm get, gathering from this, where we have this weird kind of possession and body hopping and some sort of superstitious thing going on that I don't fully understand. I don't know. Maybe it's from the television series. Or maybe it's just uh, something that David Lynch decided to do. But there's a lot of premonitions. It seems like Laura Palmer's following all these little premonitions about she's looking at this picture with an angel in it and the angel disappears. And she's like, and then at the end, that ties into it. 
It's again, you know, Laura Palmer's going to die because the whole Twin Peaks series is about the death of Laura Palmer. So it has all these premonitions and weird moments like that, and it sets up all these possible suspects. But when you see the actual person who does it, it's still really weird, and I still couldn't figure it out. Um, it's just kind of weird, and, and and there's a lot of weird editing techniques and things like that, zooming in on the back of somebody's mouth and pulling out. It's funny. I'm watching some of the things like cutting to like the monkey or cutting to like that, and I'm like, you know, filmmakers base their whole damn career off it one shot like that, um, like. Just they'll do something like that. Their whole, their whole, all their, you know, experimental films will be based on like a one shot from David Lynch. But yeah, it's an interesting movie and I can't talk about it too much to be honest because I don't have that much to say because it's so unique and different. At the same time, I feel like maybe I'm just missing so much. I only got to watch this one time. It sets a really great small town feel, and all his movies to me feel like they're in the 50s. They have like a 50s aesthetic, kind of like that Catherine Bigelow movie with Willem Dafoe. Felt like it, it was a 50s kind of movie, but made in the 80s. It has that weird aesthetic to it where it's like, it feels like now, but it also feels like the 50s. Everything's in the 50s. I don't even know the time frame this is supposed to take place in, but it feels like the 50s. I think it is the 50s. I don't even know. So that's what I mean. Like, it feels like a weird time, feels like a weird place. Um, the lighting's always great, always beautiful shots. He's the only guy that would freaking shoot a whole scene of 10 minutes. In with loud music playing where you can barely understand any of the dialogue that sets up what's going to happen next. <laughs> so it's like just bonkers. I love Harry Dean Stanton in it. I love he runs this trailer park. He wakes up and he makes that guy's coffee and everything. Loved him in the movie. Uh, he casts people that have like physical abnormalities about them, like um, somebody without an arm, um, just kind of background characters and smaller characters like that. And that, that's kind of unique and adds this weird layer to it. But I really enjoyed it. Even if I don't feel like I knew what the hell was going on, everybody does a great job in their acting department. And Ray Wise is the man, guys. He's so crazy. He's so weird in this. Just really recommended, but also not for everybody. It's so weird. It's I don't even know. I would never tell some random person to watch this. No doubt. No way. You'd have to know what you're getting yourself into. no other person who could have known where it was. Did Bobby give you this? Or is there someone new? Your Laura disappeared. It's just me now. You made me write it all down. Don't do that. She doesn't like that. How do you know what she likes? Just like my Laura. It's Don't make me do this!
Okay, the next one is the last Patreon pick, and this is Trust, directed by David Swimmer in 2010. Jeremy from 22 Shots of Moods and Horror picked this one, and he always picks like the most depressing kind of movies, even though I just had a bunch of weird depressing movies this week too. But yeah, Trust. You look at the title, and basically that's what the whole movie is about. It's about a young girl, 14, trusting um, somebody online. It's about her father trusting his daughter after something horrible has happened. So this movie tackles a really kind of nasty subject matter. Clive Owen plays the father. He's tremendous in the movie. He goes through a lot. The girl who plays the daughter is absolutely top-notch in here. I couldn't recognize the wife's name. Uh, I've seen her before, too. The acting in this movie is really good, especially from Clive Owen, um, the wife, and the daughter. I think that there's some tremendous acting here. The plot of this movie is basically a young girl. It's kind of like the impact that... um somebody being manipulated and raped has on somebody and it has on a family and it even has on like everything around them and the future things like that. So basically what happens is perfect family, really great family. This girl's talking to somebody online. They kind of are, you know, kind of dating online or whatever. And, um, she's 14 and he says he's 17. And then over time he says he's older and older until eventually, you know, she, she forgives him. She, um, meets him at this mall and he's like a 40-year-old man. And you know where this is going from there. Sexual predators online. You know, that was probably a bigger you know debate. This is probably like right in the heart of Chris Hansen. You want to have a seat kind of deal, 2010. So what happens is a really uh, horrible rape happens. Um, but the girl, it's about the girl's psychology afterwards and the father's psychology and the whole family kind of melting down. He, he can't trust her. His job actually plays into some of this as well, which makes it a little interesting. We have Clive Owen. He works, you know, selling like magazines and looking over these things and stuff like that. Kind of like, I guess, um, advertising. And he's currently had been working on like, you know, a teen line of clothes. So there's always these teens like spread out half naked and everything like that. So that doesn't help at all. And the way he has interactions with his business partner and everything like that, a couple interactions there. And it's just like everything's driving him crazy. He starts to be obsessed with finding this guy, obsessed with finding sex offenders, posing as little girls himself online to try to find out who these people are. And his performance is great. And and what the daughter psychology goes through while well, she thinks that, you know, this was a misunderstanding and all those things about him not talking to her anymore, the rapist and everything like that. So it, it's a really heartfelt movie with really good dramatic moments. And um, it, it ends in a couple ways that I think are unique. I, I don't think it gives you the satisfaction. And I think it's playing that because it is realistic in a lot of ways and uh, tragic in, in a lot of other ways. But I would recommend seeking this out. It's on Tubby, uh, Tubi TV. So T-U-B-I TV if you're interested. But uh, yeah, that's trust. These are definitely for a clothing company, right? So why isn't anybody wearing a shirt? (laughs) Who are you talking to? I'm chatting, Dad. My friend Charlie from California. He's a junior and plays volleyball for his high school. He's smart and really funny. He's encouraging, he's sweet, and he thinks I'm beautiful. Charlie? Where are you? I'm sitting on a bench just outside. Annie? Annie, 
What happened? How old is he? I can't stop thinking about it. I'm angry I didn't know what was going on. Well, you all right, buddy? Maybe you didn't even like me. You were attacked. It wasn't like that. You don't even know him! She is in pain. She needs you. I want this guy out of my house. I want him. Oh! My life is ruined. <laughs> Nothing's ever going to be the same. People get hurt. The only thing we can do is we can be there for each other when we do fall down to pick each other up. Okay, the next one is The Pick a Movie by James Grimmer, and he picked Blind Man. I had not seen this one. It is 1971 Spaghetti Western. Kind of on the tail end of Spaghetti Westerns. Not as late as something like Kioma, but pretty late. And it shows. This is a weird, weird movie. Um, it has uh, Anthony Mann in it. Not Anthony Mann. What is the guy's name? Oh, geez. It's not Anthony Mann. That was the director of the Westerns. I can't think of the guy's name, but he's in a bunch of stuff. I think his last name is Mann. Uh, but he's in, a, he's in a bunch of stuff. Um... He, he's okay in this movie. He plays the titular role, the blind man, but it also has Ringo Starr. Yeah, Ringo Starr in a spaghetti western? What? So, yeah, okay. This is a really weird movie. Blind Man, it's definitely a take on the Zatoichi, uh, Zatoichi kind of movies with the blind samurai. Blind Man is supposed to... I don't even know if he has a name in this movie. It might just be Blind Man, kind of like the man with no name. Um, he's supposed to transport these 50 women to 50 miners that um, all paid for these women to be their wives, and they all agree to it, so he's supposed to deliver them. What happens is uh, something happens where he gets double-crossed, and he kind of gets led on to find the guy who has them in Mexico who runs this gang, his family. Um, Ringo stars his brother, and then he has a sister who kind of handles these women and sells them to the highest uh, bidder. So he goes after them. He gets involved with them, trying to get these women back and everything like that. And uh, basically, it's a lot of back and forth. It does get repetitive at times. Where it's like, I got the women, you got the women. But there's some nice tricks in here. There's some nice action. Uh, the blind man's kind of an interesting character. There's a lot of F-bombs, a lot of language in the Spaghetti Western, which kind of surprised me. And he's got a lot of good lines in here as well. He shoots first. There's actually some squibs in here. I could see some inspiration by the Wild Bunch. There's a, a scene with a Gatlin gun or some sort of uh, machine gun, which is a huge shout-out to the Wild Bunch involving soldiers. But at one point in here... This guy, um, the bad guy, decides to sell to these uh, this, the military, but he double-crosses them. That's straight out of Wild Bunch. And then there's a general character in here. The general character is by far one of my favorite characters in any of these spaghetti western movies. He he would have been played by, like, Telly Savalas by some like that, or somebody like uh, Ernest Borgnine, Telly Savalas, somebody like Bud Spencer. I don't know. He reminds me of that kind of larger-than-life character. So um, basically what happens is um, the blind man has to get free the women, there's another woman that Ringo stars obsessed with that he kidnaps from this village. So she becomes involved and blind man wants to help her out and everything like that. But mostly he wants his women. He's not like a super nice guy. In the beginning, he blows up a bunch of bad guys and there's a prostitute in there. And he's just like, eh, he doesn't even notice. He doesn't even care. So that there's kind of that going on. There's of course a lot of explosions. This movie looks expensive. There's a lot of great set pieces where, especially in the cemetery, there's all these, you know, at one point there's this big take in the cemetery with all these crosses set up. So it doesn't look cheap. It looks big. It looks towards the tail end of the Spaghetti Western run. Um, I, I enjoyed it. Like I said, it was really cool. Ringo Starr is better than you would think he is. He's not horrible. 
Uh, and the, the bad guys are cool. The bad guys are decent. And there's, it, it does seem to get to the point though, where they run into each other way more and you think they should probably start be getting killed beforehand. But at the end of this movie, of course, the general comes back. Of course, it's actually kind of a surprise that he's in the movie and, he, and what happens to him. But I love the back and forth between the general and the blind man. Their 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 relationships are really great. Um, the action's solid. The bad guys are pretty cool. They have familiar faces, but like, there's really only the three standouts: uh, the family. Um, the woman's great too. This movie's filled with nudity. There's a lot of nudity in here, which kind of surprised me too. A lot of naked women being kind of whipped and everything. And the end of the movie gets insane because the women run away and everybody starts shooting at them and running down and ripping their shirts off. Off. It's like a, a nightmare city where, like, why are the zombies ripping their shirts off before they kill them? Like, eh, eh, rip off their shirts. So there's a lot of sleaze in this one. Um, so it, it gets really kind of raunchy at the end of the movie. So a lot of language, a lot of sleaze, a lot more sleazy and language-filled than the spaghetti westerns in the 60s. But still, um, I actually really like this one. I thought it was a really good movie, and I was very entertained by it. I watched it. I bought it on Amazon Prime, and it was an HD print. It looked pretty good. Uh, hopefully there's a Blu-ray coming up, but this is a good pick. James Kramer liked it. Liked it a lot. He's a man with no eyes, with only one thing on his mind. Fifty women. Fifty mail-order brides. Stolen. One man has a contract, and he's gonna deliver. I want my fifty women. Why are they your women? Because I have a contract. Now he needs to get them back. You got my women and I want them. What do you mean? You are my woman. But somewhere in Mexico was a man called Domingo. With 50 beautiful women he stole from Blind Man. Now Blind Man wants those women back. Peace, brothers. Blind man, blind man. What did he do? Stole 50 women that belonged to you. Tony Anthony. Ringo Starr. Blind man. Hammer time! For all who are willing to pay the price, we invite you to go through the mirror of life! Hey guys, it's Hammer Time. And uh, I think it's week 28 for Hammer Time. We're, we're past the halfway point because we got 52 episodes of Hammer Time. So this one is, I believe this is a popular one. This is 1968. 
The Devil Rides Out, uh, directed by Terrence Fisher, starring Christopher Lee and Charles Gray. Uh, you guys would know Charles Gray from... No one's going to know who Charles Gray is. The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Everybody knows who Charles Gray is. He also played Blowfield, who Donald Pleasant's played, and Telly Zamala's played in the James Bond movies. He's in a bunch of movies, and of course, he's in Shock Treatment. Shock Treatment. Uh, The sequel to Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, Okay, The Devil Rides Out. Like I said, 68, directed by Terrence Fisher, so it's it's expensive. It looks good. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not the same little castle or anything like that, or same swamp. They go to a bunch of different locations. And I really think this movie has a cult following because it is one of the bigger movies that kind of focused on the occult but it does seem like during the research they tried to shoehorn every little occult thing they had um in here when did like satanism become in the public eye like when was that like the news picking that kind of stuff up it's like the 80s isn't that like like anton lavey and and shit yeah but i believe it started earlier oh lavey is i think like in the 20s no 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 he was when was um crawley Anton LaVey was, like, in the 60s, 70s. Really? Because he's in The Devil's Reign. Oh, okay. So when does Crawley, and then we have the Anton LaVey later on. So I I don't know if this is just, like, kind of, but it feels like they're trying to be legitimate. Like, they think it's legitimate. I don't know if it is or not. But the plot of this movie, it starts off right away. It it just jumps right into it. Do you want to? Um... Yeah, so Christopher Lee and some other guy. <laughs> some other guy's not some that much. Guy. Some big bruiser. Um, some big yeah. thug. Yeah, he's literally just a tank. All he does is punch people. So the, um, I think their friend or their brother passed away. It was one of their best friends, and yeah. Christopher Lee promised to take care of his son. Of his so son. The, and they're so, all rich. This is rich people. Yeah, this territory. is rich people shenanigans. UK in the 20s. So they, they go to visit their son and... Their friend, or their, their friend's, friend's son, son that they... Chris Lee is like, like I've adopted you, but you know. He's like, I'm looking out for you. I take responsibility. So they show up. They, they do this every year. They do this every year. You know, they all, they all go out and have dinner or whatever. And they, they get to his friend's house, and his friend's having this, like, party. And he's like, oh, but, you know, he can't stay. And Chris Lee is like, no, something is weird. Like, he's talking to all these people. <laughs> they all have names like, like, Astrium, the, the Seven Star. And he knows it's astrological astronomy, and it's yes. really weird. And he puts two and two together and realizes this is sort of some some sort like, of satanic worship group. Yeah, yeah, like my friend's son has been like adopted into a cult. And, and there's only 13 people here. Yeah, so exactly. They, they um, go to throw him out and he decides to kidnap his um, friend's son his so he friends. doesn't get inducted into this satanic cult. And then plot happens from there. A lot of plot. <laughs> the same thing happens so over and over So much again. plot, yeah. Charles Gray kidnapping Charles him Gray and kidnaps. a girl that um, uh, one of the um, Christopher Lee's friends is interested in like yeah. gets kidnapped. They're both going to be indoctrinated into this cult. They want to stop it. So uh, Charles Gray starts putting weird spells and things on them. He and... can possess them. Um, there is a, a goat head man, which is it's really devil. fun. The devil is in the movie, and when yeah. it hits that point, it seems like a climactic moment, but it keeps going on and it on. It keeps going on. Well, basically what happens is they unveil this whole cult-like area. There's a lot of, like, uh, coincidences, which are really kind of silly. Like, they end up taking him out to the country, but then, of course, they uh, one, the girl gets brought back because she's, like, possessed, so they drive. There's a car chase. This movie has so much rear projection in here. It, it's like it was a new discovery how to shoot it, so right. they just kept doing it, and it looks like crap. Um, but besides that, the movie looks gorgeous. Uh, yeah. Shout remastered it. It looks really good. The scenery's great. English countryside. Uh, mm-hmm. Amazing uh, building they use, the actual, where the young man lives. Um, yeah. It, it, there's a great, like, astrology setup and things like that. But 
this movie's kind of repetitive to me and loses its steam. I, you know, when I was watching it, it, it almost felt like this was supposed to be like a TV miniseries. I don't know if that's the case because mm-hmm. it was adapted from a book, but like it's very episodic, like it's episodic, yeah. episodic, yeah. And it just, um, it's like it's like normally when you're watching a movie and like as they're completing one arc, they start introducing like a second arc and. The first arc gets resolved, then the second one starts hitting its apex. This is like, it's not like that. It's not, you know, like a rolling hills. It's literally just, it's like, we finished. We finished. And, and, and that's how this is. Like, it, like nothing carries over from arc to arc to arc. It's and, like... And the, the climactic moments happen earlier in the film. Like, when he runs into, like, the cult in the woods about yeah. to, like, do a sacrifice and indoctrinate them, mm-hmm. there's a big fight scene. It's really fun. There's kind of, like, almost an, an over-the-top stuff going on. I can't think of the character's name who's Lee's friend, the big bruiser. But he's ended up running through and beating people up. Yeah. And, and then it, it starts to slow down. And there's <coughs> literally a scene where there's a, a... Is it a circle? And they all have to stay in this circle. And that's yeah. kind of... There's a couple characters that are really fun because they're like in-laws or something and the, the husband and the in-laws like this is stupid the husband but looks it, like rodney dangerfield he looks like skinny rodney dangerfield yeah. he's like oh the satanic panic stuff has given me the creeps but he's he's ridiculous but he, he's actually really fun in it mm-hmm. but this is like a 30 minute scene in a yeah. circle and it, it's similar to the movie vi or v however they pronounce it the russian movie where this person has to stay in this area and all these crazy things will happen to him like monsters and stuff but it's really kind of dull because and they, death shows up. It's just like everything in the kitchen sink, and I don't, I don't understand. Thank God for Christopher Lee; he's good in it. Even though he's really funny at points, he seems like he's more satanic than the. the he knows more about the occult than the occultist. Right. And um, Charles Gray is really great in it. Fairly wasted, but at the he has a great scene where he gets to go into the house and has just giant dialogue where he hypnotizes the lady. Mm-hmm. And when he's talking, he's like, "I'm sure you're very." And, and that the whole speech is really great. It's a really great moment of acting. I really want to want to see Christopher Lee and Charles Gray more interact. The ending is ungodly stupid. Where they're yeah. like, it's just some bullshit they threw at the door. Like this is the way. It's I don't. It's not good to me. This is it's it's standard. It's average. It has really cool ideas, but it kind of just falls flat for me. And it's just too idiotic to and, and too much going on to really ever well, be good. And and that's why I think like I honestly do think that it was supposed to be made for TV, like like a miniseries. It's or something. too expensive to be made for TV. I know it's expensive, but I mean that might be why it's a film. But it the way that the story like unfolds is it's just like that. Like this is the standing in the circle episode. Ooh. Um. I think, you know, Charles Gray does amazing. Christopher Lee yeah. is amazing. Um, the aunt, I don't know her name. She was She was good. The acting's good. all good. The uh, characters the are all good. decent. We get the, the the lady with cross eyes from the witches is in here. Yeah, she's, she's playing an occultist. She's fun. She's really fun. Um, it's okay. The set designs are great. The costume designers are good. did mm-hmm. a great job. Um, it looks good. It's just, it's it's a nice looking movie. It's just a script as a it's a mess. It's a freaking mess. It's all right. over the place. And I, when we were saying with Quatermass in a pit, um, that movie keeps throwing things in, but it all comes together. This it all one, comes together. at the very end, they're like this. I don't even want to spoil the ending, but it's so anticlimactic. And like what they show us is really cool. And then they go back on that and they renegotiate what happens. Or like, that didn't actually happen. This happened. It's like, stop it. The ending, I don't, I'm not going to give away the ending, but the ending does feel like, like an end of like a Scooby-Doo cartoon. Like they, somebody says something witty or clever and they all have a rich laugh and then credits roll like it, it it's weird and, and like what's 
I find like interesting is this is this is like what sixty nine sixty eight sixty eight. I mean, Christopher Lee reminds me a lot of Doctor Strange. He this. does. He does. And you know, I you think, well, the comics are kind of like at the height of their popularity at this time. So I wonder if there's some inspiration from there too. Although I think it does say it is based off a book, so I don't know. Nineteen sixty eight. I'm giving this five out of ten. Five out of ten. I will give it. Charles Gray is going to earn it one star to me because I I adore that man. So what is it? Three out of five. Ooh, you gave it higher than me. <laughs> uh, the Devil's Bride. This is from John Stanley's Creature Features. It was not in tear on tape. I don't think a lot of Hammer movies got released on tape here at, in the eighties. So Devil's Bride, nineteen sixty-eight, three and a half out of five. Hammer's superb version of Dennis Wheatley's The Devil Rides Out. Well, weaknesses. In Richard Matheson's script cannot be denied, Terence Fisher's direction is remarkably fluid, the juxtaposition of scenes excellent, and the flavor of Britain in the 20s well-preserved. Christopher Lee fights to destroy Charles Gray's devil cult. The death on horseback sequence is a shocker, and suspense mounts as Lee and Force seek... Um, geez, I lost my spot. Lee and Force seek protection in a pentagram under assault from supernatural forces. Um... I can't believe Richard Matheson wrote this script because he's like the best horror writer nobody talks about. So that just kind of blows my mind because he wrote, you know, the I Am Legend novella, which is like my favorite story. Mm-hmm. And he, Trilogy of Terror. He worked on so many good projects. I just, it's hard to imagine that this was written by him and be so clunky. It's so clunky. It's super clunky. Um, like I said, visually it's great. Um, mm-hmm. The Death Rides on Horse is not, that's a st- stupid scene. That's embarrassingly dated. Oh, the, the angel of death scene. Yeah, it was like, oh, it keeps doing the horse thing. Oh, I, I started it. laughing. <laughs> like, I don't know. I didn't like this one. I thought I would. And I had seen this one before, and I felt mm-hmm. the same way, walking away like, eh. And, I mean, it's not bad. It's not the worst. It's just, it's just not for me. I didn't love it. Um, Right down the middle. Next week is The Lost Continent, which I'm kind of excited for. I think it's a, um island movie where there's monsters and stuff on the ship. I, I don't know. It sounds okay. fun. Okay. I want to say crabs, but I don't know if there's going to be giant crabs. I hope, hope there is. Don't or... hype up giant crabs. And if it's anything like Island Claws, it'll be horrible, but I don't know. Did you like this? You gave it three out of five. There are scenes in here that are just, like, fantastic. Just, I love these, and, like, I want to see more of this. But in between those scenes are 20-minute poorly done car chases and a lot of standing in circles. Charles Gray is great. Charles Gray is great. Um, I think the opening is particularly well. I love the opening. We're in the party. and the, That's really cool. Um, and, and I do like... Um, I like the goat. The goat Devil man, man is cool. I thought that he looked really cool goat and funny. Man. He did yeah. have a cheap expression on his face he, the entire He looks time. so dopey. He was like... He looks, he looks simple. He looked he, like a simple kind of he, man. He, he, he was just like yeah. this, like, content... He looked content. He like he was too dumb to realize what was going on. He was like, at no point did I feel threatened by the devil. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's how he he that's, lets you in. He's like a Trojan that's the horse. Title of my autobiography you know what I mean? right no, there, right? No, <laughs> no, at no time was I afraid of the devil. No, he's like a Trojan horse where he looks like dumb and simple. And you're right. like, oh, come here, devil, and then he gets you. Yeah, right. I, I'm good on this one. You? I'm 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 good. That's a superstition. Now there you are wrong. The power of darkness is more than just a superstition. 
It is a living force which can be tapped at any given moment of the night. Why, on one night of one year, should these people live in mortal fear? Christopher Lee as Doricia, who knows he must fight the devil's power to the death. Oh my God. Don't look at the eyes, Rex! Eyes, eyes, once filled with love, are consumed with fear. For Tanith is now promised to the devil. Listen carefully to what I say. This is Makata, the devil's chief disciple. Your will is leaving you, slipping away. The Devil Rides Out, from bestseller author Dennis Wheatley's famous novel, fills the screen with a special kind of visual terror. On your feet, quickly! Back to back, join hands! You will hear his evil. You will feel his evil. You will see his evil. If we once catch sight of his face. Okay, let's do the pick a movie. Who's coming next? We got Eric Adams. So let me know. I'm going to do two at a time this time again. And because sometimes people don't get to me. And then I'll just go in that order, right? And we got Jesse Diaz. Uh, Alright, so let's get into these questions. This is a long video. I know it's going to be. Alright. Questions. Jonathan Wilhelm, i got to ask, what is your favorite death in a zombie movie? Can be a zombie or human death? That is such a good question. There's so many good ones, though. That's impossible to answer. Uh, favorite death in a zombie movie. Oh, jeez. Let me let me just think of a couple off the top of my head. Um, it, they'd all be from Night, Dawn, and Day, probably, to be honest. But um, Night of Living Dead, Ben, is just so impactful, you got to say it. Uh, you got to give it up to Say Goodbye Creep with a machete. very memorable. And Dawn, Day of the Dead, Rhodes, Rickles, all great. Steel. I love Steele's death. Um, but uh, something that's not one of those big ones, let's go Let Sleeping Corpses Lie, The Receptionist, and I'll leave it at that. That's a great death. Um, Andrew DMB, thought I'd ask a few questions. First one, in respect to our November Criterion sale, what are your top 10 Criterion releases? Um, I don't know if I can give you 10, but uh, that's just so many movies. I can give you a couple that I, I'm super glad they released. Night of the Living Dead is my number one. So happy they released that. I'm looking at my Criterions now. I uh, gotta go. Straw Dogs. Um, I haven't even got a chance to watch a lot of my Criterion movies that I bought. I've seen the movies, but I haven't got a chance to rewatch the Criterions. But I'm looking up at them. So Night of the Hunter's a great movie. Um, 
Loved uh, Eraserhead's a great movie. Beyond the Valley of Dolls is really great. Um, Badlands. Uh, man, there's so many good ones that, uh, that I haven't even got a chance to watch on my Criterion. Uh, they got The Brood. Got to go with The Brood on there. It's one of my all-time favorites. Jeez. Um, oh, man. Like I said, they released a lot that I haven't got a chance to buy, too. Uh, that, that, that'll do for now. I should have, like, sat down and looked at all of them, but... A hypothetical question, if you were able to receive free of charge, you can only pick one distributor, example, Shout Factory, Severance, Synapse, Mondo, Macabro, and you will get every uh, all their releases, DVDs, Blu-rays, box sets, limited editions, everything they put out will come to you for free for as long as they put out films. You get their whole catalog. Now, I thought about this for a long time. Just so so many different companies are doing different things and putting out different stuff and genres a lot harder to make a decision than I thought. I'll let you know mine, but first I'd let you know. Uh, please let me know yours and why. Um, I have almost all the Arrow stuff. Are all vinegar syndrome stuff so i wouldn't pick them because like i already have it and i am i love supporting vinegar syndrome so i'm not gonna do them um let me think i mean it'd be great to get the back catalog to mondo macabre all those crazy dvds but i have a lot of scream factory but i don't have everything and they're not my favorite company by any means kino has so much too kino has so much or code red has so much but i have a lot of these copies already um it's going to come down to what i already have really um and who puts out the most output um i know shout factory has been putting out so much lately um that i probably go with shout because um i they put out a lot and a lot of the stuff is stuff i wouldn't buy anyways because it's not the greatest stuff and i'm missing some of the titles so maybe shout not basing it on my favorite, but if you're going to go with my favorite, it'd be like Vinegar Syndrome, Arrow, or Severin, or somebody like that. Or I'd pick like Mondo, because I want their back catalog, because a lot of those DVDs are kind of lost. I have a bunch, but not all of them. So it's too hard to answer just one. Uh, Nick Mua, what's your favorite curse word, and what's your least favorite curse word? My favorite's cocksucker. When I say it, I say it a lot. Uh, I don't know why. It's just also my road rage word. I say it a lot. Uh... And what's my least favorite one? My least favorite one. I like all of them. Most part. Um, there's a couple I don't really say. So uh, I don't say the C word too much. But So that's my, that might be it. Is there a film that you would love that was stuck in development hell for ages? I wanted a sequel to Nightbreed. Or a TV series. Let's go with that. I'd love that. Uh, the sequel to Nightbreed. But now I don't even know if I'd want it. But that was one development hell for sure and then we have some answers to the question i asked last week uh your favorite zombie movie made between night of the living dead and dawn of the dead uh jonathan william um tombs of the blind dead return of the blind dead barren blood and to a lesser extent the legend of the seven golden vampires uh from youtube kentuckinator shockwaves for best zombie movie after night and before dawn nick mula on a woman i said i decided to check out house of seven corpses i really really enjoyed it and i quite like magical zombie films and who am i to say no to john Carradine and hoodoo zombie flick zach nolan children shouldn't play with dead things also just watch messiah of evil because of you that movie rules thanks man that's a great one irish mad dog 1987 as zombie movies made um between Night and Dawn, for myself, would be Messiah of Evil, Tombs of the Blind Dead, and Let Sleeping Corpses Lie. The 70s was the best time for zombie flicks, in my opinion. I think there's lots of good zombie flicks in the 70s. I think, like, maybe there's not that many, but they're all great. Um, Uzi Suicide 666, Tombs of the Blind Dead, or Vengeance of the Zombies for zombie flick. Southport Rock, 
Rocker, as for the question, I uh, have to say is let sleeping corpses lie, um, a.k.a. the living dead at the Manchester morgue, Shockwaves 2. Johnny Doomsday's 1313 zombie movie. Would love to say the Corpse Eaters from Canada 1974, but it's impossible to find. So after years of searching, I still haven't found it. Have you heard of it? Anyway, I'm going to go with Shockwaves. Yeah, I did, and I even covered it for you. Um, Twitter answers. Burt Walker, Living Dead at Manchester Morgue, and it's not even close. That's also probably my favorite. Uh, Facebook answers. Kaiser Souza, probably Living Dead at Manchester Morgue. Um, Jason Reinhardt, Tombs of the Blind Dead. Rahish Brown, zombie, of course, has to be Italian. That's just, That doesn't count. It's made after Dawn of the Dead. David Lewin, uh, Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue, a brilliantly entertaining zombie flick that has every, everything. Iconic zombies, creepy atmosphere, killer soundtrack, and some of the best lines ever spoken in a zombie film. My favorite being, I wish the dead did come back to life, you bastard, so that I could kill you again. Delivered by Arthur Kennedy. That's a great line. Uh, Timmy Tahoe, uh, Dawn of the Dead. But I just doesn't count. Peter England, top five. Horror Express, Lone Wolf and Cub, Baby Cart and the Land of Demons, The Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue, Death Dream, Shockwaves. Love Death Dream. Love all. Like, I love Horror Express too. Honorable mention Peter Cushing, Arthur, Edward Grimsdyke, and Tales from the Crypt. I love that segment. Nathan Thomas Millinder, maybe Death Dream, unless Tales from the Crypt counts with its zombie segment. Keith Boyd Jr., Garden of the Dead always creeped me out. I dig that one too. Um. And Richard K. Strocker, um, that's a cool little movie I really like. He mentioned Garden of the Dead as well. Anicio Hernandez, Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things. Stephen McGurvin, um, he uh, agrees. Classic Laugh Riot. Sam Edwards, Zombie 2, doesn't count. And Let Sleeping Corpses Lie are always on repeat for me. David Barnes, he says my order, he shows a picture of my order from Grindhouse Video last week, and he has Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue. Michael Church, Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things. Peter McCain, does Rabbit count? And I, I think Rabbit does count to a certain extent. I know that Marilyn Chambers in that movie is kind of like a vampire, but what she creates is kind of like an infected, the equivalent to what an infected would be now. And there's not that many zombie movies like today. So I kind of count it in a certain way. At the very least, those are like under the same kind of genre. We have like, you know, zombie is such a broad definition. So it's not a zombie movie, but I'm including it in the genre, if that makes sense. Seth Poland, I like the two above me. I was debating Manchester Morgue and Blind Dead, but I think I'm going to go with Manchester Morgue as it's the better single film. Jason Lindbergh, my thoughts exactly. Mikey Gore, Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue and Death Dream. Dustin Mills, Let's Sleep in Corpses Lie. Casey Robertson, Dawn of the Dead. And then somebody told him that that's not how it works, so he picked Let's Sleep in Corpses Lie. Lee Jones, to an extent that it counts, Messiah of Evil. Uh, Basil M. Graham, the Norlist tapes from 73, One Zombie. I need to check that movie out. I have it. Matt Pocock, Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue. You guys know that's Less Saving Corpses Lie, same movie. So everybody knows that. Alex Powers, I take it Omega Man doesn't count. I count it. Love it. They're mutants, but it's cool. Jason, don't they, do they drink blood in that one? I, they're kind of like mutant vampire things. In the book, they're vampires, so. Jason Fetters, Tombs of the Blind Dead. Jason Howard, Living Dead at Manchester Morgue, Death Dream, Shockwaves. Mac Brewer, Dracula. He's doing it on purpose. Shane Glass, Less Saving Corpses Lie. Robert Cruz, gonna go with Horror Express. It has a little bit of everything. Ghouls, aliens, zombies, and both Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. Can't go wrong there. Kevin Keegan, Shockwaves, Jack Criddle, Death Dream, Adrian Roberts, Living Dead at Manchester Morgue, Derek Bourgeois, Shockwaves, Icarus Finn, Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things, Peggy Small, Shockwaves, Rabbit, and Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things. And then we have old answers uh, for your favorite F-word use in movies. Ryan Knight says, Fudge Christmas Story, Nicholas Box, Adventures in Babysitting, Don't Fuck with the Lords of Hell, Don't Fuck with the Babysitter, uh, Peter Engelin, uh, the throat coat scene, the cut throat scene in Fargo, or true coat scene in Fargo, my my, my, my fault. And Neil Glomit, damn it, 
I should, shouldn't have said Day of the Dead one for my favorite fuck because I knew someone else was going to say it. I'm changing it right here to Rick Moranis and Spaceballs when he opens the hatch to press the button to stop the self-destruct at the end of the movie only to notice an out-of-order tag on it. He says, fuck, even in the future, nothing works. That is a great one. Um, this question of the week, I think this is going to be fun for me. Um, and I didn't want to do just the typical, but uh, who is your favorite? I'm taking a poll here. Vincent Price, Peter Cushing, um, Christopher Lee. But just to make it a little bit more interesting, I'm throwing in Donald Pleasance and John Carradine. So out of those five, who's your favorite actor? Doesn't just have to be their horror movies. So uh, you can count Donald Pleasance in The Great Escape and uh, as Blowfield, whatever. So those five, we have um, Cushing, Lee, um, Price, Pleasance, and Carradine. Let me know. So I guess we're going to hop into the update. Okay, let's hop into this update. First, we have Mom. That's right, Scorpion releasing, call her mad, call her a monster, just make sure you call her once a week. I remember this cover as a kid. I saw this actually, I had a laser disc and a bootleg. Um, this was released on an MGM made on demand. Really want to check this one out again. Remember being decent, uh, Grandma's a werewolf. <laughs> the concept's good enough to watch, come on. And we have some Kino, Return to Macon County, Nick Nolte, Don Johnson. Not seen the original, have it. Want to check this out, looks cool. Love Kino, so yeah. We have Poltergeist 3. Finally came. Look for I, This is actually my favorite Poltergeist, Gary Sherman movie. I know that's funny to say. You know, the first one's a classic, but hey, man, I love this one. The mirrors, the big apartment complex. Saw it as a kid a hundred times. Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Uh, another Kino. Clint Eastwood, George Kennedy, Jeff Bridges. Kino's been killing it lately, so yeah. Cool stuff. Winter Kills, man, this movie has an amazing cast. Look at the cast. Jeff Bridges, John Houston, Anthony Perkins, Sterling Hayden, Eli Wallach. Come on. It goes on and on, too. Tons of people in this movie. Looks really weird. Street People. This is an Italian kind of crime movie. Roger Moore, Stacey Keach. Kino again. Can't pass it up. Love Kino. Then we have Charlie Verrick, Walter Matthau, Don Siegel movie, good movie. Reviewed this as one of the earlier ones. John Vernon, good stuff. Anthony Ro Andrew Robinson. So yeah, we're going to hop back to uh, the video. All right, guys, thank you very much for watching. And as always, you guys have a good one. <laughs>